Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Linda. Hi, everybody. I'm a compulsive reader anorexic bulimic. My name is Linda. Wow. I am really grateful to be here. You know, I'm feeling kind of emotional. I'm just going to tell you because I want to welcome the people that are visiting I want to welcome the anniversary people and welcome to the new people. We have all been where you are. And um, I'm just blown away. Um, And this is such a big room. And I am in the right place. Um, I am so, so grateful for this program. So grateful for what it has given me. So grateful for a way of living that it has offered me. I'm so grateful for the people that I can so readily identify with. For me, I'm all over the map because of my whole spectrum of eating disorders and uh, my compulsive behaviors that I can relate to anybody and every, everybody in these rooms. <laughs> How lucky am I, right? And so uh, I want to thank Andrea for asking me to share tonight. It's uh, really a privilege and an honor to be here. And uh, I'm also a little bit extra nervous because my husband's here and he's never heard my eat a log. <laughs> So um, I'll get to share all kinds of stuff with him, and um, that'll be new information. So um, anyway, I'm going to go back and talk a little bit about what it was like so I can identify with you guys. And, uh, you know, it was not a pretty thing. All I wanted to do was eat, and all I wanted to be was thin. And I thought I was going to take all of those secrets and all of my behaviors to the grave. Because God forbid I tell anybody what's really going on in my house, you know, or in the bathroom. Um, You know, uh, and I'm going to back up just a minute. I'm going to tell you what my abstinence is because somehow I always forget to to say that. Uh, My abstinence is no binging, no purging. I have restrictions. I eat it, I own it. I have uh, restrictions and uh, time frames on my exercise because I'm a compulsive bulimic exerciser. and I have a lot of restricted foods, and uh, I don't eat sugar at all. Um, that sums it up. But, um, you know, for me, you know, one of the biggest things I wanted to do was control everything. And I was going to control my weight by any means that I needed to do. And, um, you know, that took me into a lot of crazy places. I come from a long, long family of compulsive readers. Uh, drunks, alcoholics, you know, and everything in between. Lots of addictions in both sides of my family. How lucky. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, by the grace of God and the power of this program, I'm 21 years abstinent. One day at a time, I'm 32 years sober, clean and sober. And uh, um, so I participate in multi-programs. Some of us are sicker than others. Right? You guys get it. I understand. I don't tell the whole world that. They don't get it. And they're like, you know what? They kind of like move away from me, right? I'm like, ooh, she's a weirdo. But, you know, I am a bit of a weirdo. But I'm on the road to recovery. 
surfing along one day at a time. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You know, I know I had a lot of weird food behaviors. I just recently remembered um, when I was younger doing homework, and I had a whole behavior thing of doing my homework in the reward system. You see, I liked a lot of those sugary things and salty and crunchy things, and so I had them all around me when I was doing my homework. And so, you know, I would get through that math question and that algebra question, or I'd get through some section, and I would reward myself. And I would move on to the next one. And no wonder dinner came around and I was not even hungry. And, um, you know, my food behaviors were kind of just all over the place, but that was one that I hadn't remembered. And then, you know, many years later, um, I went off to, to college and I carefully chose a party college because I was really into all my addictions and I wanted to go where the fun was because I was an excitement seeker. I still am a little bit, you know. I just like the excitement of it. So I went off to college, and I'll never forget the night that everybody went out to a smorgasbord, and it was all you could eat. And I made a little piglet of myself, and I ate massive quantities. And I was so stuffed, and I was just so uncomfortable. And my friend Debbie wanted to go to the bathroom, and, you know, the girls all go together. And and, uh, that was where my friend Debbie taught me the art of bulimia. How I could vomit up my food. I thought, wow, this is great. I mean, like, what a way to control my weight. I need to control my weight. Now, mind you, you know, off to college, I'm eating in the dormitory, you know, cafeteria. The food's really good. I like eating the food. And particularly that one section over on the side with all those sweet things. You know, I went there every night, and I loved that. I had my favorites, and so I quickly put on 10 pounds. I was not happy. My favorite jeans that I brought to college are now really tight. This is not happening. This is not good. I'm going into a panic. I'm having anxiety. Now I'm starting to really, now I've got to exercise some more because I've got to balance it all out, and, you know, I'm, I'm counting the fat grams and counting the calories, and I'm you know, how much of this, and I'm taking in that, I've got to exercise, and when am I going to exercise? I'm going to do it in the morning, I'm going to do it in the afternoon, I'm going to do two a days, you know, and, and all of, I mean, I could have been a mathematician, I'm not, but I could have been, you know, all that calculation, and it starts to just come as second nature, and you guys that know that, understand that, that anorexia, that bulimia, that, you know, trying to control and weigh it all out, and, and I was a diet queen, there were the diets in college, and then there were the other diets, and then there were the Hollywood diets, and the fad diets of the week. And, and I remember my dad, who's, my, both my parents are alcoholic, and they're both gone, but, um, and my dad would go on this drinking man's diet, and he would go on this other diet, and I'm like, well, I could try that diet, you know, and the, I mean, there were just a million diets, and I, I think I tried them all at least once or twice. You know, whatever it took, I was desperate. And I remember just eating and eating and just binging because I had so many feelings. I had so much anxiety. Growing up in that alcoholic home, it was crazy. It was War of the Worlds. War of the Roses. That's what it War of the Roses. I mean, I would come home and I would never know what's going on. 
My mother passed out, didn't know if she was dead or alive. What's happening here? Oh my God, I'm an only kid. What, uh, what do I do? Do I call 9-11? Do I call the neighbors? Um, my dad's gone. You know, I've got anxiety from that. I've, I don't know what to do. I've got, I don't know how to handle things. There's pressure. There's things stressing me out. You know, not knowing how to make decisions in life, how to navigate the challenges, the problems. Too many decisions in every day. And uh, so I had to eat. I had to try to, to deal with all of that. And then I would eat so much because I had to. And then I couldn't stand being so full. I couldn't stand all that weight in my stomach. It was like I, I just had no control. I had to get rid of it. I had to get rid of it. And it was the whole secret of trying to get into a bathroom and trying to get in there by myself and trying to run the water so people wouldn't hear me throwing up and trying to make myself vomit. Because I had to get rid of it. I had no choice. It left me no choice. The obsession being so strong and the obsession to turn around and eat again. To eat again. Years later, I remember um, I'm living in an apartment. I'm in, actually, there was, oh, the first time I ever heard of Overeaters Anonymous. I did heard of it, you know. Nobody talks about it at parties, you know. It's not the topic of conversation. It's the parties I go to, right? Hey, you know, let me tell you about my binge and purge from last week, you know. Oh, yeah, really? Oh, well, let's go. I want to hear about it. Um, so, um, you know, in between the parties, I, I was living in Rockford, Illinois at one point, and lived with a, with a roommate, and, and uh, you know, people watch what we're doing, right? They see what we're doing. They see what's going on, right? You know, whatever you're doing, whether it's drinking, this obsession, that's... And so um, my roommate, Mary, one night, she, uh, she said, I'd like to go invite you to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting. Okay, not quite the party invitation I was expecting, right? <laughs> Hoping for. And I looked at her and I thought, really? Um, okay, I was kind of signed up to do people-pleasing at the time. You know how that goes. <laughs> so um, I went to the meeting, right? And... Um, you know, I heard people talking about it, and I thought, this is pretty strange to me. And I thought, how weird. And, um, you know, mind you, I'm both drinking and eating and everything else. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. And so I left there, and I had no intention of going back. I didn't hear anything about anorexics and bulimics, and I thought, well, yeah. Well, thank you very much, and I went on. But the seed was planted, you see. The seed was planted. I knew about it. Didn't think about it for many, many years. Time went on, and, uh, you know, I moved around a, a lot. Um, got involved in some work where I was moving around every two years. And, and so there I am in Austin, Texas. Now, I'm working out like a crazy woman because I'm really obsessive about my working out, really trying to control it. And I'm working out at the gym all the time. And God works in mysterious ways. Really mysterious ways. And so I'm working out at this gym morning, noon, and night, two days, injuring myself a lot. When you work out that much, you injure your body. And uh, so as it turns out, the owners of the gym are sober through Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm-hmm. They're watching me. 
again. They're watching me, coming in hungover and all that. And I remember there was a sign on the door, and it was the diet, the diet. And it said, um, if what you eat tastes good, spit it out. I said, yeah, that works for me. I love that. Yeah, that's the diet. And so, um, anyway, you know, one day there was a little intervention. I got called into the office at the gym, at the gym, my office too. And, uh, and so Big Steve, who owned the gym at the time, invited me to go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. And by the grace of God, I went and I identified and I got sober through Alcoholics Anonymous with our same 12 steps. Very powerful program, and those steps are very powerful. And so, you know, now I'm sober, but I'm a crazy woman, binging and purging and living at the gym again and doing that whole thing. And now I'm living in Chicago and uh, living with these other women, and, and we're traveling for our work. Not everybody's there at the same time, and I just remember having so many feelings. And walking into that apartment, putting my key in the door and opening the door and saying, Hello? Is anybody home? And just waiting, hoping nobody would answer because I needed to eat and I needed to eat alone. And if I heard somebody, I was like, but if it was silent, I was like, yes, at peace that floods us. And I would put my stuff down and go in the kitchen. I would eat my food, their food, and all the food. And I would purge it up. And that's how my story goes, you know. So I'm about a year and a half, two years sober, and, uh, you know, I'm still doing my whole eating thing. And, and uh, I knew another woman in, in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous who was also in OA, and I asked her if she would take me to a meeting. And she said, sure. So I went to a meeting in Chicago at the time, down on Lakeshore Drive, and uh, went to this meeting and had a big table. We all sat around the table, and, and uh, I stayed for the meeting, and... I didn't hear anything about the bulimia and anorexia, and that's what was really killing me at the time. Didn't hear anything about it. And I said, you know, I think I can control this. I think I can do this. And um, I really thought I could. I stayed sober, and I didn't get abstinent. And so that was my 10 years out there. Really painful. I don't recommend it. I just wasn't willing. And the key is willingness. And so years later, I'm living here in the valley, and I had a whole new bottom. I'm still sober. Thank you, God. And uh, I knew where to go. I went to the Darby office. And uh, I went to the 100-pounders meeting on a Wednesday night up there. And this beautiful woman shared. And I could identify with her. I mean, I, mind you, I've never been a 100-pounder, but I've gained and lost and gained and lost 100 pounds. And uh, could identify with her. And I knew I was in the right place. I knew I found you guys, finally. And I could relate. And I was ready and I was willing. And what I knew from my prior experience is I had to do the work. I had to do the work. But it's an inside job. This disease centers in the head and lies to me that I have to eat this and I have to do that and I have to binge and purge and, and I have to skip the meals and I have to do all of that. And the steps, the 12 steps, were my remedy, were my medicine. The fellowship, the identification in these rooms was beautiful. It's like I knew it. You guys were just waiting for me. And I was grateful. And so I did get busy. 
I got myself a sponsor and I started working the steps. I had to do the work before I could see any changes. The changes to my food were very slow. It took a time to, to start figuring out what abstinence was, and, and I would have to make some adjustments. And the adjustments continue. Sometimes things have to be an experiment, and I realize, you know what, I, I can't eat this anymore, and I have to make a change. Oh, dear, this is a troublesome food. I'm going to have to eliminate that. And things still, the body's changing, the hormones are happening, things are changing. So I still have to make those adjustments. You know, I have to have that awareness. I have to be willing to call my sponsor and talk about it. I have to be honest today. I can't afford to keep the secrets. Those secrets, the secrets will kill me. I just can't afford to do it. Each and every day, I started in on a habit when I got sober that I continue today, and it's the most important thing I do. And that's how I sink in with God. I don't know if you know much about electricity. I don't really know how this whole thing works, how you plug something in and it works, the circuitry, the pros and cons, or positive negative. I don't know how that, whatever. I don't need to know, but I know it works, and it works really well. I know that when I plug a lamp in, plug in my charger, it charges up my phone, turns the lights on, the TV works. It works really well. And the same thing works with my higher power. But I have to plug in each day. I have to plug in. So what I do in the morning is I get on my knees. I read a meditation book or two or three or I read from my phone because I travel a lot for my job. I've got the Hazelden books. I've got the big book. You know, I'm portable. I can go anywhere, practice my program. And so... I thank God I go through a gratitude list. It's the most powerful thing. Being grateful for what I have today. I've got a long gratitude list. Some days I go through a short list. Some days I go through a long list. Other days I take a walk. And I do the alphabet. And I'm grateful for something for each letter of the alphabet. I love that. It's a little exercise I do. I'm doing my, my limited exercise power walk. <laughs> you know? And it works. But that gratitude thing is work. So then I do a third step prayer. I surrender everything on a platter. Everything's about the food, right? And I surrender whatever it is. I surrender my day. I surrender my will. I surrender my husband. I surrender my problems. I surrender an issue with a, a friend or whatever, a coworker, whatever it is. And I ask God to guide me through the day. Show me what his or her will is for me that day. If there's something in particular, I ask for help on that. And... I ask for the willingness to follow that will and the willingness to listen to that still, small voice. I know today there's a difference between the ego voice and the still, small voice. I used to always get it mixed up. Sometimes I do because that loud voice, it's like it's talking to me. It's telling me. It's That loud voice is my ego. Ego edging God out. It doesn't want me to listen to God. It's got the grand ideas that always get me in trouble. And when I listen to that still, small voice, that, that voice that I have to listen to carefully, that's the voice I want to listen to. That's the voice that helps me get through the challenges, get through the day, successful days, abstinent days, sober days. That's what I want. That's what I want. 
And I always wrap it up with a specific prayer. You guys, I like to get specific. It's not about winning the lottery. It's not about finding a park. Any, that stuff, no. For me, I'm asking God to help me stay abstinent today. And I go through it all. And help me to stay clean and sober today. Help me stay away from the binging and purging, over-exercising, compulsive, overdoing it, the sugar. Go through it all. Help me to stay away from that. And then I'm ready to start my day. Actually, then I'm ready to do my meditation. And I've got a meditation practice today that I love. Because that's really the syncing up with God that starts my day in the way I want to start it. Sometimes I get up and my anxiety, I've got anxiety, and it wants to get in there. And, you know, I've got this list of things to do, and I need to accomplish all of them. And, you know, I need to get going because, you know, it's going to be more traffic today, and i got to get to work, and i got to take care of it. And it's like, oh, let me back up here a minute. I need to do a meditation and start my day with God at an even keel, slower pace, you know. And so... The one thing about the program is the connectedness. I believe that we as humans have to be connected. It is not natural for us to isolate. It's not natural for us to to spend too much alone time. Humans are on the earth to connect, to be with one another, to help each other, to support each other. And we know this better than anybody. It's a we program. I mean, how many years did I try to stop this whole crazy, insane cycle? I couldn't do it. I couldn't get abstinent in, in AA as well. I had to find this program. I had to find you guys. I had to find my people who could support me and help me and teach me and say it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You're in the right place. Stick with us. Stick with the winners. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. This thing works if you work it. And so we know about connectedness. You know, it's like I have to pick up the phone. I need to go to a meeting. I need to call my sponsor. Let me talk about sponsors here. Sponsors are, are great. Sponsors rock. I don't think I would be abstinent today if I didn't work closely with sponsors. Um, I've always had a sponsor, as long as I can remember. Um, you know, because I haven't known how to do this thing. And, and uh, I've had some great sponsors over the time. Um, I had a sponsor that, you know, moved off. I had a sponsor that dropped me at one point because we had worked through, I think we worked through the fourth and fifth step. And, um, and she said, you know, Linda... I, I just, I'm not anorexic bulimic, and I really think you need to find somebody to work with who can identify with that and help you. Oh, it broke my heart. But she did me a favor, and I realize that now. And then many years later, I had a sponsor named Sandy M. And some of you may know her, because she was around a lot. And uh, she was very, very involved in service. She was on the OE board in the, in the Valley, and she did so much service, and she loved it. She just had so much energy, and she loved to dance, and she loved to throw dances in the valley. And uh, she loved being of service and giving it back and sponsoring. And she was just such a great, great sponsor for me. She taught me so much. 
I was working with Sandy when I started really having a problem with the sugar because I, I hadn't gotten off the sugar, but it was really becoming a, a big problem. And um, she was so gentle with me. She didn't give me any deadlines. She didn't put any pressure on me. Oops. She was gentle. She was loving. She encouraged me. She did all the right things so that she didn't alienate me. And I didn't feel pressured because otherwise I couldn't have done it. She helped me get off the sugar. That was huge. Huge. Huge to me. I was so grateful for her. But she was also the woman that I always wanted to be like Sandy. I always wanted to be like Sandy. You know, and, um, you know, she had a lot of hats. And, um, you know, after Sandy left us prematurely, she got brain cancer. And uh, she passed a number of years ago. And uh, she had like a zillion people come to her memorial. It was unbelievable because she was so loved. And ever since we worked together, I always said, you know what, I want to be on the board. I want to give back. I want to do service above the meaning level. I want to do what I can because I can never repay this, this golden gift, this amazing gift of abstinence that I have, you know, that has helped change my life so profoundly. And so um, this past year I ran for a board position. And so I'm having fun giving back on the board and we're working on, I'm a co-chair of the 12 Step Within, so we're doing the fun workshops and and planning out some fun events for people to come to. And, and it's been really fun. I've gotten to know new people, people who are, who are givers, and uh, people that are really involved in, in doing service. And it's been really fun. It's been really fun. And, and so, um, you know, I can just see Sandy going, you go, girl, right? You know? And, um, and it just feels good. You know, we do things that make us feel good. Um, I, uh, and so I have a sponsor today. I have a sponsor and a backup sponsor. My, my main sponsor, you know, some people need a lot of help, right? And uh, that would be me. And so um, I have one sponsor who's, who's older, and she went through some major surgery a couple years ago, and she wasn't available. So I had to have a backup sponsor. So that's how that happened. And, and, but it's great. And so, you know, I get to talk to both of them, and, and they both help me in their individual ways. And, and I love that. And, um, you know, I sponsor women as well. And, and as long as the, the sponsees are willing to work steps and, and to be in touch on a regular basis, uh, we work well together. And, and so it, it feels good to give back. You know, I've been given so much. It feels good to give back. And, and so, um, you know, one of the things that I talk to a lot of my sponsees about is boundaries. Boundaries are so important. Being willing to say no when appropriate, being willing to maybe have a, a difficult decision or to set a boundary because something's becoming uncomfortable. And sometimes these things are really difficult, but um, they need to be done. And, and, you know, as I've moved more into recovery and more into recovery, I find more of a need to set those boundaries. They're real important because setting boundaries teaches other people how to treat me, you know. 
And so sometimes I have to reach out for support. How do I do that? How does that happen? And so, you know, this past week has been a uh, a challenging week for me emotionally. And um, I had planned to um, to go on a trip with a friend of mine. And, and it's a friend that I, I didn't know real well. And so we were planning this this thing together. And, and so getting to know her more so and spending more time together, it became more and more clear to me that I didn't think this was going to work out so well, you know, and I started to get that feeling and I, and I thought, you know, thank you. And I thought, you know, I really, I'm becoming more uncomfortable about thinking in terms of what we've got planned. And, and so, you know, I got a phone call and I was talking to somebody else about it. And, and, you know, when the truth hits you, the truth hits you and you know, and I have information now that is leading me to think, I need to change that plan. What I know today is I do have the right to change my mind. But I knew this was going to be a difficult conversation because I knew it was going to be difficult news to deliver. And it was going to be difficult for her to hear. Reason to reach out. Pick up that phone. Talk to my sponsor. Okay. Writing assignment. Have to do the writing. Okay. Call again, pick up the phone. All right. And I got the script together and I made that phone call. Prayed first. Prayed first. And I made the phone call. And it was really difficult. And then I felt guilty. And I had to make another phone call. (laughs) And, you know, we're reminded that guilt is not one of our tools. Right? We have nine tools, ten tools, but this is not the eleventh tool. Guilt. It must be gotten rid of. And I had to get rid of that and let it go. But what tells me I did the right thing is the peace that I feel afterward. The peace I feel for speaking up for myself. For having a difficult conversation. Setting a boundary. Speaking my mind. In a way that I'm not where I'm being kind and loving. But standing up for myself. Not stuffing it. There's a reason to eat. The abstinence is the most important thing no matter what. The most important thing. So I feel good. I'm glad that's over with. I can take a deep breath. I'm like, okay. You know, I had to do that. And so we do that. Um, It's about God. You know, being around here enough, I know that I'm still powerless over people, places, and things. Sometimes I end up praying for people. Resentments, anger, self-pity, jealousy, hatred. I cannot afford to keep these things. I cannot afford to keep these things no matter what. I've got to do everything in my power to get rid of them as quickly as possible. As quickly as possible. The anger, resentment, I'm going to eat over it. I'm going to act out over it. I want my food to be clean today. I plan out my food today. Planning is the key. Do I like to plan? No. Don't like to plan. But I plan out my food today. I plan out what I'm going to make for my husband and I for dinner. I make the shopping list. The list. I go to the store with the list. I buy the things on my list. Unless it's, I forgot the berries or I forgot the almond milk or something like that. It's abstinent food. But I don't buy the other food. And if I'm tempted, maybe I need to just walk through the produce department and call somebody. I've had a call before I went into the grocery store before. You know, 
we do what we need to do to take care of ourselves, you know. And so, I'm going to, oh, there's a, a thing I want to read to you, but I love this. The first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiness. I just love that. It's a little rule, a little guideline, if you will, of how to live my life. To apologize. Forgiveness. Letting go. I can't afford to hang on to that negativity. I work really hard to be positive today. I work hard to not take things personally. You know, I'm a sensitive person. Aren't we sensitive? Yeah. But to not take things personally. To keep moving on, putting one foot in front of the other. To make plans, to stay connected to God. To be grateful. To practice that gratitude. And to have fun in life. To have fun. You know, one of my healthy addictions today is going dancing. I married my dance partner. I've always loved to dance. And, you know, dancing is social. It's fun. It's exercise. Yeah, I do have to put my limits on the dancing as well. So I don't go out and dance for five hours, right? Too much. But it's fun. And my husband and I get to practice dancing at home. Uh, We went out to Palm Springs last week as a getaway to just reconnect, to have some fun, to have some some downtime, to get away from the work and all the, the stressors and things, and just to enjoy life. You know, we didn't get abstinent. We didn't do all this work to to be stressed out and to not enjoy life. I absolutely insist on enjoying life, as the big book says, you know. And we work on things, one day at a time. And so, I'm so grateful for this program and the way of life and what I've learned here. And I will keep coming back as I invite each and every one of you to keep coming back. This thing works if you work it. You betcha. Thanks for letting me share. So with, uh, with time that we have left, I invite you. Does anybody have any questions? Yes. Um, can you describe the relationship you had to a higher power or not prior to sobriety and abstinence versus sort of today? Okay. Describe my relationship with my higher power before recovery and today. Um, I first came into recovery, and I had some major issues with religion and God. Because it was, um, I felt like God was the punishing God. It was the make it, let's make a deal kind of God. And, and the whole thing made me feel really bad, really bad. And um, so I really had some skepticism and doubts. And so when I first came into the rooms, it was good orderly direction or group of drunks. But, you know, that's as close as I could get to it because I would be out the door. And so higher power worked for me, and I was encouraged to have whatever higher power that I was comfortable with. And that has changed and evolved and evolved and evolved. And today, me and God are really good. We're really tight. I have a trust that I never thought or dreamed I would have with that higher power that I choose to call God. And, um, you know, I, I do a lot of praying through the day and... And, uh, but it's, it's really evolved. But I've spent a lot of time on it, too. A lot of time. 
because you know I would I would hear people talk and I wanted what they had. Right? Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Oh, hi. Um, my name is Constance. Hi, Constance. I was just curious, you mentioned that sometimes you get anxiety, and I was wondering if it ever get overwhelming or intense that well, yes, there are. Um, yes, are there any tools that I use to deal with my anxiety? And um, I do. Um, you know, I, it was suggested that I go to a doctor because I really wasn't aware of, of how bad the anxiety was. I was just like, and I use exercise, and that's why I overdid it a lot was because of anxiety, because I could manage it that way. And... Um, and so what I've learned over time, and I've done a lot of different, different things, but what works for me today is the, the med- meditation. And I do a lot of different meditations. I go on YouTube a lot. There's some beautiful, wonderful meditations so that I can have a guided meditation. And um, I have a yoga practice today, and I love my yoga practice because it really brings me down and centers me. Um, I use the phone a lot to talk to other people, and sometimes that's just very calming. Um, I listen to podcasts. Thank God we're in the tech world, you guys. We're so lucky. And um, so there are a lot of tools. Reading is something that really helps me. You know, and not always spiritual books, which I love and, and have read a lot of spiritual books. But I love reading other books, you know, mysteries, romance, a little bit of everything. A reading can really bring me, bring me to a center place. So we find what we need. Thanks. All right. Thank you. I think my time's up. So thank you so much for letting me share today.